you're going to clap. Wow. You're going to clap for that. That's Mike Donnelly and his three little friends. And they sit up on third floor and they think of these little songs to sing and, and, uh, and then we pay them. <laughs> He's actually brilliant. He doesn't come across that way sometimes, but uh, he actually is. And he knows I always have to say something about him after he, you know, he comes out and does something like that. Hey, welcome everybody to all of our campuses today. I want to welcome those of you also who are joining us online. So glad Y'all made it to church today. Uh, before we dive in, uh, I have been so overwhelmed and humbled during these past two weeks with the emails and text messages I've received uh, from a lot of you, and I've tried to answer them. I've read every single one of them, and I just want you to know that I am so grateful uh, for the kindness and love that you have expressed to me and I will carry that um, for the rest of my life. I just love this church, and so thank you for that. And along, along with that, uh, tomorrow night, Sunday night at 6.30 here at the Lionel Lakes campus, we get to vote uh, Jason in as our new senior pastor. That's going to be, a, I think, a short meeting, I hope. <laughs> uh, but it, it'll be a lot of fun, I think, and we'll be able to ask some questions and address some questions that you might have, mainly just great stuff, but... I invite you back, and it needs a membership vote, so if you're a member, please uh, put that on your radar for tomorrow night. Uh, today we do begin a series called Make a Difference, Make a Difference, because I think God has put within every human being a desire to make some sort of difference in the world. You know, teachers want to make a difference, pastors do, salespeople, service people, business people want to make a difference, parents want to make a difference uh, in their kids' and families' lives. Ephesians 2 says it this way, we, we, every single one of us, whether we're believers or not, we are God's workmanship. God had each of you in mind before you were born. God put you together. We are God's workmanship. He actually thought about you, thought about your personality, what he wanted to you know, put into that mix. We are God's workmanship created to do what? To do good works. It means we're not here just to consume or take up space or suck air. God created all of us, every single one of us, to make some sort of difference in this world. But gang, that's hard to do if you live in a perpetual state of depletion and exhaustion. If I'm constantly running on empty, constantly drained and depleted, then I won't be able to make a difference because I'll just be trying to survive. Because isn't this true? You can't give what you don't have. This is so true. I mean, you can't give love to someone else if you don't have love in your heart to give. You can't give wisdom if you don't have wisdom to give. You can't give your time if you don't have time to give. You can't give kindness, joy, or encouragement if you're always unhappy. And you can't give money or resources if you're always broke. So if you don't have some of these things, why is that? God created us to do good works, to make some sort of measurable difference, meaningful difference, but that's really hard to do if you're always depleted and empty. Early in our marriage, my wife and I didn't have a lot. We didn't own a home until we were 34, and we didn't own furniture in our living room until we were 44. 
So one of the things I've struggled with really all my life is being generous with my stuff. And I've told this a couple times before, but five summers ago when my daughter and son-in-law were loading up a U-Haul to move from Minnesota to Missouri to do his residency, my wife said to me, Bob, the kids need a grill. Let's just give them ours. I said, let them get their own grill. You know, they're adults. She said, well, we need a new one anyway. Let's just give them ours. I said, well, we wouldn't need a new one if we kept the old one. And the wheels were missing and parts were rusted off. And then I actually, I actually had this thought. No kidding. I had this thought. You know, what would Jesus do if he had a grill? This actually went through my brain. And, you know, Jesus probably never even had a grill. And if he didn't have a grill, why do my kids need a grill? And I actually thought that. But there went my grill, my perfectly good grill, onto their truck. Then it was our bed in our guest room. And Laurie said, well, they need a bed for their guest room, so I'm going to give them the one in our guest room. I said, look, we're not giving them our bed. She said, they need a new one. You know, we need a new one in our bedroom anyway. I said, well, what's wrong with our, our bed? She said, it's over 30 years old and it sags. And then she said, my parents are coming in three weeks. We're going to need a new bed in the guest room. I said, we're not getting a new bed for your parents. They're 85 years old. They're used to saggy things. Don't worry about it. But there went my old bed onto the truck, and off we went to the mattress store to buy a new one. And Laurie's parents never came. And I was not happy about that. I don't think anybody slept in that bed yet. It's been five years. Same thing happened with our lawnmower. Onto the truck it went. And my favorite rocking chair that they actually snuck onto the truck without me knowing it. When we unloaded it down in Missouri, I said, hey. I said, that's my favorite rocking chair. Laura said, you never use it. I said, I might if we brought it up from the basement where, you know, I, I've always wanted to bring it up, but you don't let us bring it. So I might use it if it was upstairs. So whenever we visited our kids in Missouri, this is what we did. I grilled burgers on my perfectly good grill. I slept in my perfectly good bed, and I rocked the baby in my perfectly good rocker. But here's my point. The reason they could take all my stuff is because we had stuff to give. We had excess, at least my wife thought we did. But gang, I bring this up because I think, honestly, I think there is a bothersome trend in our society today. A bothersome belief that somehow there's virtue in being poor and dependent. And that if you're successful and well off, then you're the problem. That's bothersome to me. But I can tell you, there is no virtue in being poor. No virtue in being dependent. There's, there's no virtue in being so depleted that you have nothing to give and can't help yourself or anybody else. And by the way, it's not even biblical to be so dependent on everybody else or the government or whatever you want. It's not even biblical. Look what the Bible says. God is able to make all grace, I love this word, abound to you. And I love this little phrase, so that. Whenever you read this in the Bible, so that, it means here's the reason God wants you to abound. So that 
in all things, at all times, having all that you need abundantly, you will then abound in every good work. God's desire is that you be a person who abounds so that you can abound in every good work. Now, if you're a student, you're not abounding probably. Especially if you're in college or if you have three little kids at home, I mean, you're just hanging on. You know, if you have an illness of some sort, you're probably not abounding. You might be just surviving, but I'm telling you with God's help, hopefully that situation will be temporary. God is able. Catch that. God is able to do anything to make all grace. It means all favor, all goodness. God is able to do this in your life to abound to you. Jesus' most famous story, by the way, in the Bible, the prodigal son, a lot of us are familiar with that. You know, this kid runs off with his inheritance and blows all his money on wild living, becomes desperate, destitute. So he decides to return home and, and see if the father will forgive him, and the father does. But what a lot of people miss in this story is that the father was very, very wealthy. Read the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. His estate included hired servants. This was not a small house with a few chickens. It was a vast estate that required servants to manage the property. When his son returned home, the Bible says the father put a robe over his shoulders and a ring on his finger, both symbols of wealth. Then the father throws this grand feast with the finest wine and best cuts of beef to celebrate. But most of all, the father had stored up a wealth of love and forgiveness for his son, and he gave it freely out of a full heart. And the father gave all this because what? He had it to give. You know, some people have this idea, uh, you know, the idea of giving Anything is just, they can't. They can't even entertain the idea. You know, giving of their time, money, possessions, or even their love is so defeating to them because they're so depleted and so needy themselves that it's hard to contribute anything and make a difference in anybody's life. That's, if that's you, by the way, I'm here to tell you, you don't have to stay in that depleted State, God is for you. God can help you out of that situation. Our God lives in a mansion. He's got a robe and a ring for you, and he's got an unlimited supply of everything you could possibly need. But you've got to come to a point in life where you say, God, will you help me? I'm ready to receive your forgiveness and love and your help. And by the way, it's okay to receive for a while. There have been about four times in our life where we had to receive. But don't stay there. Don't stay there. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, love this all times, having all that you need, you'll be able to abound in every good work. Question, if you're not abounding today, if you're just so depleted and needy and empty, if you're not abounding, how can you change that? 
so that you can begin to make a difference. And today specifically, how can you change that as it relates to money? Now, whenever we bring up money, people get nervous in church and they think, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? But just relax, okay? We're going to talk about money as the Bible speaks to it with regard to abounding, okay? This past year, I read a good book called Everyday Millionaires. I want to show it to you by Chris Hogan. Great book. The, the premise of this book is that anybody can become a millionaire and that the majority of millionaires in America are not doctors, lawyers, and CEOs, but average people who work average jobs. Now, part of that is there's more people who work average jobs than there are CEOs and doctors, lawyers. But Hogan found that gaining financial stability does not come from luck, inheritance, or high-paying jobs but by slow and steady saving money over a long period of time. Chris Hogan, by the way, works alongside the Dave Ramsey research team, and he writes these words. He says, growing up, I believed millionaires were born into money, and as a black kid in a single-parent home, I felt the odds were stacked against me. I've met Chris Hogan today. Chris is financially independent, now advising others how to become so. Chris and his team interviewed, catch this, 10,000 millionaires who live in America. Now, there's more than that, but he, they interviewed 10,000. And they asked these 10,000 millionaires who live in America, what do you do differently than the rest of the population? They defined a millionaire, by the way, as anyone whose net worth is a million dollars or more uh, net worth is the total value of everything you own. Your house, car, bank account, assets, minus your debt. So a millionaire in their definition is your net worth, everything you own, including your assets, minus your debt. And what I read over and over in Chris's book is that most millionaires got there not by luck, not by inheritance, not by high-paying jobs, but by these five uh, qualities. Working hard, living simply, driving used cars, avoiding debt, and saving every month, real key, for 20 to 30 years. This is how these 10,000 millionaires became Millionaires, working hard, living simply, steady saving for 20 to 30 years. Now, as a pastor, my goal is not to become a millionaire, nor is it to try to teach all of you how to become a millionaire. I'm actually uncomfortable with Chris's title, Everyday Millionaires. In fact, when I would, when I would travel and read this book, I would cover the title because I don't want people, you know, what's wrong with this guy who wants to become, that's not, that's, that wasn't the deal for me. I just wanted to learn. But it is my goal to help you abound in every area of your life so that you're not depleted and dependent. Because if you're depleted and dependent, you will struggle to make a difference. By the way, the Bible uh, uses 800 different passages, 800 in the Bible, that talk about money. So on occasion, it's just responsible for us as pastors and as a church to look at this issue 
You should know, by the way, that the Bible never condemns those who are wealthy. There's not a single condemnation of those. Who, you know, Abraham, the father of Israel, was wealthy beyond his, his ability. You know, Moses was wealthy. David and Solomon were all wealthy. Job, after he lost everything, God gave him twice as much as he owned before. Exuberantly wealthy. Uh, in the parable of the talents, parable of the talents, Jesus praises the servant who increases his investment twofold, and he condemns the servant who does nothing with the investment. So God is not against money. God is not against money. He is against the love of, the obsession with, where money becomes the number one thing in my life, and that's going to be my God. And God says, that's trouble. Nothing wrong with money. It's the obsession with, the love of, that gets us into trouble. By the way, some people live on very little, and they still abound. You know, some of the most joyful, generous people don't have a lot. But in the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about how to abound financially so that you are at least a little more free to abound in every good work three ways. The first one is you got to stop believing the myths about wealth and money. And I want to give you four of them. There's many others. I'm just going to touch on four. These are four myths that wealthy people inherited their money. 79% of all millionaires received zero inheritance. Almost 80% received zero inheritance. They gained financial stability by working and saving for 20 to 30 years. Second, that wealthy people inherited. Oh, that's, I already did that one. Second one, wealthy people make risky investments and just got lucky. Actually, that's not true. 80% reached millionaire status through their, catch this, through their employer-sponsored retirement fund. Through their 401k, just every month, steadily, through 20 to 30 years, putting away money. Not by luck. Myth number three, wealthy people got rich quick. Actually, <laughs> only 5% got there in 10 years or less. Most took 20 to 30 years of steady work and saving. And the fourth myth I want to show you is that wealthy people have high-paying jobs. Some do. Some do. But of the 10,000 millionaires interviewed, the top three jobs were engineer, accountant, and school teacher. Okay? One-third never had a six-figure salary in a single working year, and only 7% of these millionaires had a salary of $200,000 or more, which is obviously a lot. Again, the goal isn't to become a millionaire. The goal is to abound in every way. It's to be able to be a giver and a lifter, to be a difference maker in the lives of your family, friends, church, and world. And the first way to, to do this is you got to stop believing the myths that wealthy people got there by inheritance, luck, or high-paying jobs. you just got to put that out of your mind. The second way, I love this one, 
You got to stop the leaks, the money leaks, and we all have them. Uh, leaks are all the little cracks in our spending habits that kind of leak money out of our lives. Again, we all have them. For example, I have wanted a nice pair of gray pants for about a year, okay? But I haven't found the right one. I'm very picky when it comes to pants, and I haven't found the right one under 50 bucks. That, that, that's part of the problem, I'm sure. But so about a month ago, I took my wife on a date to the outlet mall, and honestly, I had one goal, to find a nice pair of gray pants. One goal. I went to every single store at the outlet mall with a laser focus. And at the end of the day, I came home, not with a gray pair of pants that I needed, but with three golf shorts that I didn't need and really had no intention of getting. And what happened is I leaked. I, I just saw these shorts and I thought I got a leak. That didn't come out right. We'll change that for tomorrow. I just... Aren't you glad you came to church today? Because we're going to edit that one right out for tomorrow. But anyway, come on back. Come on back. So where do you leak? That's the question. Where do you leak? By the way, I'm going to give you three areas that are really common. Gas stations are prime places to leak. Oh, man. Go ahead. It's fun. I've only got five months left. <laughs> but isn't this the, the truth? We know we go in with a $30 gas bill and leak 20 more on donuts, pull tabs, and a liter of Mountain Dew. I've never bought two of those things, by the way, in my entire 62 years. I will never buy a pull tab, ever. Might as well just take your dollars and rip them up. I will never buy a liter of Mountain Dew. I like Mountain Dew. By the end of the week, you've leaked over 100 bucks, if that's kind of your habit, that you could have spent much more wisely at Cabela's or Bass Pro Shop. <laughs> now, this next one, uh, I got to be careful because we got a lot of great uh, car people here, and they, they, they just do a great service to all of us. But new cars are some of the worst leakers. So Chris Hogan says it this way, the average net worth millionaire does not drive a brand new Mercedes or Lexus, but a, here it is, a four-year-old car with 41,000 miles on it. The average millionaire. Eight out of 10 drive it away debt-free without carrying a car payment. They save up and pay cash. Now, if you can afford a brand new car, have at it. God would not begrudge you, and neither would I. And some of you can. Good for you. But the average millionaire in our country today doesn't do that. They buy used. Pay cash. That's what they do. Uh, the biggest leaker of all, though, are interest payments on credit cards. Ralph Duder, a CEO of Spectrum Financial, says it this way, people who use credit cards and pay 12 to 20% interest will forever live in poverty, never, he says, borrow 
money to purchase anything that doesn't increase in value. I would say maybe a mortgage, possibly student loan. If you don't have the money, don't buy it. Pray for it, save for it. Wait for it. Proverbs 22, 7 says the borrower is a slave. Those who borrow money become a slave to the lender. It means that those who take out loans, borrow money, and don't pay off their credit card each month are in bondage. They're, they're in slavery to the creditor. About 20 years ago, I was sitting with some of our staff talking about these things around a lunch table, and I was just spouting off about how, you know, we, you know, how we always pay cash for used cars, never had credit card debt, we rarely eat out. We always give 10% back to God. And I just assumed all of my colleagues lived this way. Just assumed it. After an awkward period of silence, one of them finally said to me, he said, you're a freak. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, nobody lives that way. But now he does. And we're both financial freaks and loving it. Gang, I say this, I say this in total love for you because I care about your life. It should never enter your mind to finance a flat screen TV, computer, phone. Should never cross your mind to finance an appliance, or a wedding. Now, maybe you have. That's okay. This is, a, this is a newspaper. So people write things and they... It's, it's, it's news and they put it on a paper that I actually, I actually still read. I, I saved this from last July. And the heading says, married to debt, couples take out loans to pay for weddings. Just a couple of sentences here. She writes, there is nothing necessary about an expensive wedding. You could spend $30,000 on a one-day celebration, or you could use it to put a down payment on a house. She says, these loans sound great when you're planning your wedding, but afterwards, she says, I hear a lot of regret. Uh, if you want to abound, you avoid debt. An expensive wedding is not necessary. You set a budget, that's what you work with. If you want to make a difference, if you want to abound, Avoid debt. Dave Ramsey says, the only debt I don't scream about is a mortgage. <laughs> I'm kind of with him on that. Okay, third way to begin abounding is that these millionaires and people who abound, they work and save. Isn't that interesting? That's how you accumulate money. Uh, seems obvious, but you can't build wealth if you don't work. And save. I bring this up. I am shocked at how many people think that somehow they're just going to get lucky and fall into money. You know, they're going to win the lottery, inherit a windfall, or expect that the government will give them free money, free college, free health care, free everything, and they'll be set. 
I hate to discourage anybody if you think that way, but if you are depending on your parents, government, lottery, or anybody else beside yourself to get ahead financially, you won't get ahead. Ramsey says it this way, your number one wealth building tool is you. Not your parents, not the government, not some rich aunt. Again, 80% of the millionaires that Chris Hogan surveyed, they didn't inherit a dime and they didn't win the lottery. They got there by working normal jobs and saving a percentage of every paycheck in their 401ks for 20 to 30 years. So I want to ask you, are you doing that? Are you working? And are you saving a percentage of your paycheck, every paycheck? Proverbs 13, 11 says, whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Little by little, bit by bit, dollar by dollar. In fact, this, this is just a life principle that I hope all of you just embrace uh, it's very simple. If you do this, you'll get there. Saving plus time equals wealth. Start early. Every paycheck over 20 to 30 years, you'll get there. Saving plus time equals wealth. Why don't many people do this? Well, they lack the discipline to wait. They don't want to take the time. They lack the discipline to delay gratification. They see what other people have on HGTV, and instead of being content with their current level of living, they max out credit cards, lease new cars, finance new furniture, take out home equity loans, and they get what they want now because they lack the discipline to wait. Henry Cloud, an author I read, just everything he writes, he says that is a setup for failure if you don't do this. In fact, Cloud says it this way. He says, there's really only two ways to live, and I, I believe this, easy, hard, or hard, easy. Again, life principle. If you say, I'm just going to do easy, 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 delay school, you know, not work very hard, I'm going to spend, 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 take on debt, max out credit cards, I'm just going to do it easy because I want, want, want. That leads to a very hard future where you're behind, you're digging out, you're depressed. Cloud says the only way to live life, and I believe this, this is the way I've tried to live my life, is you put the hard stuff up front. You work hard, you live simply, you save every paycheck, you drive used cars. If you do that, your future will become easier. It's the only way to live, he says. You know, live like the tortoise, you know, the tortoise and the, tortoise and the hare. The tortoise isn't flashy. He's kind of, you know, he's not fast. He doesn't even care that the rabbit's just running like a maniac ahead of him. But who wins the race? The tortoise wins. Little by little, bit by bit, dollar after dollar, nothing flashy. But after 20 to 30 years of slow and steady saving, you win. You win the race. So, don't believe the myths. Stop the leaks and work and save for 20 to 30 years and you will, by God's grace, begin to abound. Mark and Bonnie Kane are 
are retired school teachers. They attend our church. They live in a little town, Forest Lake, north of our church. Two weeks ago, our office got a call from Mark and, and Bonnie, and they said they wanted to come to our office complex, our office staff, and treat us to fire brick pizza. Mark was a high school shop teacher, good at building stuff, so he restored an old truck and made it into a pizza truck. It has its own fire-burning, you can see it, fire-burning stove on the bed of his truck, and he builds this hot fire. It's kind of a hobby that they now do for graduations, receptions, and sporting events. So they set up in our parking lot and served about 50 pizzas to about 40 of us, and it was just incredible. Mark and Bonnie are 60 years old, uh, debt-free, paid off their mortgage four years ago, and they live in a modest home that sits on 10 acres in Forest Lake. They paid half the college tuition for their three kids who are out of school now, and their kids paid the other half, very smart. And now Mark and Bonnie spend their time serving other people, but they wanted to do more. So last year, they did some research, and they found an orphanage called Faith Orphanage south of Tijuana, Mexico. And just last Tuesday, four or five days ago, Mark and Bonnie took off for Faith Orphanage, where they're going to serve the underprivileged for seven months. For seven months. And I'm just so proud of these everyday people who did it right, worked in public schools for 20 plus years, raised their kids, drove used cars, paid off their mortgage, set aside money in their 401ks, gave 10% to God's work, and here's what happened in their life. God's grace abounded to them so that in all things, at all times, having all that they would need they are now abounding in every good work. The decisions the Canes, Mark and Bonnie made all along the way about living simply and saving money enables them to make a difference. Now, Bonnie said to me on the phone, she said, Bob, please tell everybody we've made, a huge, we've made huge mistakes that we regret to this day. But God has forgiven us and blessed us, so now that we can bless others. By the way, it'll look different for you. Not many of us are called to South Tijuana, Mexico. To, I'm not, for sure. I'm not going there. But no matter who you are, gang, listen to this. No matter who you are, no matter what your situation is, you might have a lot, you might have a little. I'm telling you, no matter who you are, if you do what the Keynes did, work hard, live simply, avoid debt, save every week, every month, God's grace will abound to you and you'll be able to make a difference. Next week, we continue this message. Jason tells about a car accident he was in. He claims it was somebody else's fault. You'll have to come. You'll have to come and, and judge for yourself. But two resources as we close our time today. I recommend this book by Chris Hogan. Then Financial Peace University. Text FPU to 555888. If you're in financial difficulty or whatever it is, man, you got to take this course. Get educated. Get going. You can get there. You can get on your, get on your way. So God's grace will abound you. Let's all stand at all campuses.
and be on our way today. Father, thanks so much for uh, this, this biblical teaching today that your grace will indeed abound to every one of us so that we also can serve you in a meaningful way. God, I thank you for every person standing here. Some of us are standing here and money is the biggest stress in our life right now. It's something we worry about. It's something that depresses us. It's something that we fight about in our marriages and families. And God, I pray that if we start seeking you and following after you and receiving from you for a while so that we can abound, God, I pray that you will release us from that. I pray that you will give every one of us through hard work and saving and diligence, I pray that you give every one of us all grace so that in all things, at all times, we too might abound in every good work. God, I thank you for this church. I love this church. Thank you for what you're doing. We need you every single day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for coming.